0: Turn my headphone down a little bit. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah Ringo's out here being daddy dear, so we brought our main man, our homeboy Will Webb. What's going on with you, man? It's
2: really good, Podcast Land.
1: Man, man I, I, I brought I brought my man here because one, we've been hearing y'all for the past couple of weeks. Well, we always only have Man United supporters on here. We always talk Man United all day long. My man Will Webb is actually a living Liverpool. They brought the scouser through
2: for y'all. They brought the scouser through. No, God. It, look, you say oh <laughs> oh God, all you want to. Uh, <laughs> I'm friends with a bunch of Man U fans, and it's always fun talking smack. Uh, but y'all needed some new voices, and you needed uh, the better half of Mercy side.
0: Diversity, right? <laughs> this is what diversity exactly. Is, exactly. Right?
2: You gotta expand your horizons. Exactly. What's been, What's been going on with your coach? Oh man, uh,
0: just last week started working on my like, coaching license some more. Kind of diving in, checking those boxes, trying to look that a little bit. So uh,
1: so you're about three steps away from coaching Atlanta United?
0: Uh, <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Tony totally DeBoer. Uh,
0: speaking of which, we need a GoFundMe page to be able to afford my coaching license. <laughs> what else? So um, FTC family. Um, yeah, go ahead. Holler at me if y'all try to add to my uh, coaching license.
1: It's funny that, that you mentioned that though Because we actually have some special guests on, on here today uh, Of course we've been, we've been continuing Black History Month First of all, before I go into that My bad about last week You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I, like, I, like I tried to tell y'all uh, During last week's episode We had like a good hour and change Of great audio with Black Fires Shout out know, to them, thanks for coming on We will have y'all back as soon as possible but yeah like we got like a like a good hour and change only ended up with getting like 15 minutes because skype kind of fucked everything all up so we we, we fixed that this week I, I absolutely promise you on that we're actually working on on that right now but um, we got a uh, kabir Hakim, uh founder of futsal america uh he's worked with uh Howard university soccer dc united been in the game for a good 30 years. And uh, we also have Nicole Hercules. Uh, she's uh, executive director of the Rochester City Soccer League. Uh, she's also vice chair with uh, at the soccer uh, uh, Soccer coaches, uh, black soccer group. So uh, we definitely wanted to have uh, have them on the show, give us their inputs as far as where where coaching is right now, where development is right now. And uh, they have a lot to say. I I can tell you that much. Because matter of fact, we're not even going to be on here a whole whole lot this uh, this We're actually going to jump um, into the episode uh, pretty soon. But before we go into that, um, I, I, I did want to just uh, hit y'all up and see what's what's going on in the, in the news and everything. Of course, here in the in the home home team course, we're still dealing with preseason. G-
2: pre-season? preseason, really?
1: Ah, uh, oh, yeah. But you know what? Though, do so you get a trophy for this? No, Do but... Do you get
0: a banner? Not yet. Do you get a star? Not yet. Then why Why is
1: this even talking? It's, it's no cake, cake. star. <laughs> follow him. But you know like, what? We, we, we got we got some some possible moves happening. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like it. Uh, our boy, Don's nabby, uh, our number six. Uh, the rumor is he's trying to get out of out of atlanta the rumor is he wants to go up up to columbus of course for those who don't know darnton nabby uh he went to school in ohio at uh, at akron uh his coach there was keller porter of course for those who don't know keller porter he was his coach in portland and also at, at akron so you basically you'd be reuniting him with what basically is basically his one and only coach for the most part i saw from tata um and uh, just wanted to kind of get y'all guys thoughts. Like, like one, why would he? Why would like? I don't want to get rid of him for shit. Because I'm like, when he was healthy, like that dude was an important piece to the to the midfield. And I think that even for even as as we we've been going through some changes with our formation during the preseason, we, we've been tinkering with a with a 3 uh, which would definitely affect. His possible playing time that we probably would be only we working with
2: with two center mids. Um but yeah, like what are y'all thoughts on that? Uh, it's really just is it the change of ownership that makes him want to go to Columbus? It's always been my question. I'm obviously not the biggest fan of the ownership because they also well, own yeah, you're an no Ohio guy anyway, so yeah, like it's it look, I'm glad that Columbus is back. I went to a bunch of their games, but I feel like the change of ownership might be a reason for him to go. Maybe they're going to reinvest in the team. Maybe he feels like he has a chance there. Maybe he thinks Jimmy's going to try to sink some money into that. Obviously, going back close to home, something I can attest to, would be great for him. Same boat as you. I don't want to see him go. Like, he was a very important part of that midfield. Unless they're going to offer him boatloads of money, unless Caleb is promising him to be the linchpin on that team. Mm-hmm. Unless Columbus is going to build their own Mercedes-Benz would Point is it going to Columbus. I don't think they're going to be a title contender ish So, eh. I, I think that, you know, of course,
1: you, you can't put a price on on going home. Of course, he grew up, um, when he immigrated from Liberia, like, for the most part, he grew up in, in Ohio, not too, mm-hmm. mar, not too far outside of uh, Columbus. Mm-hmm. And with the fact that you have, my, my thing is not even so much the ownership, even though that does definitely help, because at least they know that they're, they're going to actually be there to stay. But I do think the Keller Porter uh, uh, factor is factor is huge here because uh, you have a guy that that knows this game his know, and has known this game since basically he was 18. So you're talking about a good 10 years now. And um, so I think that just having that, that normal familiarity and having uh, – that guy that, you know, sometimes you feel comfortable with. Of course, my thing more than anything is 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 this. When he was healthy last year and under Tata, you know, he was a stud. I think that because if you go back to 2017, you know, as uh Portland season was ending as we failed to reach the World Cup, the views, the the opinions on Nagaby were pretty low. You know, he was that he wouldn't play defense, you know, he he never tracked back, and I think that you know coming here and, and adding a new wrinkle to his game definitely helped out huge. Because because I, I, in Portland he was used more so as a winger, whereas here we, we use him more as 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 a six, as a true six. Yeah, and uh, I think that if you look to where where the view the opinions of him are now as compared to back then before he got traded.
2: Um, it's, it's night and day. All of a sudden, you people start clamoring for him to, like, play in the national team, unlike they did right at the end of that. They ain't not nothing to do with him. It's like, then, no, like, we good. We good, champ. We good. I, I, we don't. I've I've heard the most trash talk about Jonathan Agnew and him, him come here and not necessarily reinvent himself, but, like, almost get that fire relit under him. Like, maybe he's trying to do—I'm taking it from a personal standpoint. Maybe he's trying to do what he thinks is best— Going forward in Columbus, I'm I'm a firm belief that Caleb Porter is going. Hey, you will be like you're the star man on this team. We'll put your mm-hmm. name up in lights. You're going to be the guy who's going to kind of be the the leader of men here. And maybe that's something that he's yeah I definitely think that you know with uh,
1: Eagle Wing, he's not getting any younger. Yeah. Um, who's the the cam there? Um, crap, I, I, I was just talking about him the other day. But I definitely think that he'll definitely have more of an opportunity uh, in Columbus. Should he should he go to basically be, be the the main guy, he could be their, their Mickey yeah. and um, and basically you know um, that everything goes through him. Um, I I it would really suck in you because I think that yeah. you know I so said he he's. Really good. Of course, as we go into Champions League play starting next week, mm-hmm. uh, he'll definitely be. Of course, the more depth that Atlanta United has, the better. And so, losing a guy like him would be um, pretty massive. Of course, like he, it's gotten to the point now where he's been uh, sitting out um, out of preseason training out in California the past couple of days. Hasn't been training.
2: He's with the target. I was going to say he was definitely photographed a target uh, possibly making a run for some like you know sparkling water but that's all we know of him so far this preseason is that he's hanging out with the guys he enjoys being with them he's just not training with them and you get worried when he's not training is he trying to is he trying to force his way which everyone's saying out or is he just like I'm going to chill and lay my options my thing is like
0: what at the end of the day why do you
2: sign up to play
0: yeah It's to win championships. Right. Of course. And right now, you are the defending champion. Mm -hmm. And you pretty much are on pace to maybe repeat, you know. Why? Why mess with that? Mm -hmm. I'm truly, that's the thing as far as me as a competitor, as a coach, and everything like that. Like, if there was something where, like, it was truly a different whole, like, cast or crew that just left Mm -hmm. Atlanta United, I Mm -hmm. could get that. But yes, we got new coaches. No Tata, I get that. Obviously, Mickey just left and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, those pieces. But, but it's, it's not made it, like... Made his debut without Newcastle. Right? right. But it's not like... It got Gashunk. It's, it's not like he, <laughs> those replacements were shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you've already got the best um, replacement you can possibly get from Miguel. Yeah and Pity is already showing preseason. Yes, I reference a preseason. Preseason? Pre-season. <laughs> preseason. He's already, you know, showing his shine. He's different than Mickey, but he provides something else that's going to be better than Mickey. I think.
1: You yeah, at saying? least still, for everything I've seen so far, I can't wait for uh, n- next week. Uh, of course, we, uh, we have uh, Herediano. Uh, the first leg's going to be down in Costa Rica, and then the following week, we'll, uh, they'll be back here. Of course, he'll be in fucking... Uh, Kennesaw State, which is such
2: a disappointment. But hey, the I, nest. I, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some give it a nickname. Come on now. So, <laughs> the, least least be excited. the nest <laughs> works. So scary,
1: yeah. I guess it works, but you know, it's not the same as having you know at least forty-five thousand,
3: if not seventy thousand.
1: Hey, we'll be there soon, soon enough. But uh, we're not even gonna uh, wish you guys. Um, that much time here we really want to uh give y'all this interview
0: time out time out. before we go there i just want to talk about one more thing man what's up kids oh lord <sighs> can we talk about got to, got to this started. boring shit that we're seeing continually every week and they what kills, <sighs> me, what kills me is that each and every like, yo we about to drop some hot shit on y'all <laughs> straight <laughs> down <laughs> you know, we have like this exclusive event Nobody can get into it. We gonna put on Need that. new tickets. Shit. Need tickets, right, son. <laughs> and then you you bring out the same white shit uh, over and over. I, I mean, so I wasn't <laughs> gonna do this,
1: man.
2: Yeah, I did.
1: Because, of course, for anyone who is paying attention to our, especially on our Twitter, because it's, it's really got to the point now where it just it's absolutely obscene at this at this point. Because what what you basically have is he
0: is getting lazy. Oh getting thing, lazy.
1: Getting lazy because I, I had I had a conversation with. Uh, well, I, I, I ran into a thread on, on Twitter uh, from a guy who actually we hope to have on, on our show pretty soon. He um he designed um some of the kids on um, down the, um, on the USL level and everything and um. You know, he was given some perspective as far as like what goes into uh, the design process because what basically comes down to two things at least what I gathered from the um, from the Twitter conversation and everything was one is time uh, for for a team like FC Cincinnati who were officially announced to join MLS last uh, it was last spring if I'm not mistaken so basically you had less less than a year. Uh, since they were announced to when they, they'll be joining the league uh, uh, next month officially, uh, it, wanting to play and everything. And and then two, you have the league who basically, you know, they have a final say as far as like, basically like how their league looks, you know, and of course you have all the primary kits, all, all the home kits, and then you have, Basically, you have a, a kit that they want to have set aside to uh, basically contrast that, you know, whenever you have like a kit clash event, even though for some reason you've had Montreal and Atlanta play each other. They have black and blue. We have black and red. But yet, for some reason, they, we still wear um, our change kits when we play each other, which that that makes no sense. To me. You don't want the Italy comparisons <laughs> right yeah, we have enough yeah. italian right now because we, apparently we look so much like ac milan that's 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 notwithstanding but what what really bothers me here is that because of the limitations that are that are provided um by uh, uh by mls there's no, there's no third kits so basically all you have is you know your your home kit that has a color and your away kit that pretty much does it because at this point over half the team in the league have, have a white kit and if you want to go a step further almost everyone has one uh, that has uh, has black or gray so like, I, I counted this last year only one team in the league did not have either a white kit or even a black based kit and that was Colorado. Everyone else you have at least a white kit or a
2: black kit. Uh, to speak on that, I think for me, the only reason I can see everyone having all these white kits is this is still America. And when you look at the popular sports, they have the one colored kit and then they have the one white kit. Can we be
1: like the NBA and just have like seven different uniforms and everything? Can and we be like the NBA and have Nike?
0: Can we be like <sighs> the L League and just have each club choose which? brand They want to be with.
2: So we can pick Shocker. up. Shocker. So we can oh pick up, bro.
0: Stop living in a capitalistic world. Oh my gosh. It's... I thought you said this was America, Greg. I thought you said this America. Man. Apparently it's not. Sounds like a lot of socialist ideas. Oh, yeah, that is America. My man Stay Man.
1: Listen, we could really go into this in so much detail. So I, I, I think that we really will have a kit review episode once all the kids all come out. For us, half half the league is all, you know it's already spoken for. It's like it's white, so we just gotta review the ones that have color and, and go from there. But um, uh, we're, we're not gonna waste um, much more of your time. Uh, like we really want to get to this uh, interview with uh, Kabir Keem and Nicole and please Honestly, I think it was uh, really one of our. Probably our, our best interview today. Of course, one that we actually got all the audio. So hey, it should work out pretty well. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll be uh, uh, we'll head up that that interview after uh, this message from Anchor. Hello. Hello there.
3: How are you?
1: I'm hanging in there. How you feeling?
3: Doing well. Doing well. How are you?
1: Can't call it. You no, know, trying to make it.
0: Cab beer. How's it going, Cab? (laughs) Hey, what's up, Tony? Good, man. Good. Welcome to we also have Nicole Hercules on the call as well, too. I think y'all might know each other. We definitely
3: do. I love Cab.
0: How you doing, Nicole?
3: (laughs) I'm doing well. How are you?
4: Very good, thanks. Cool. I got so
3: happy when I heard he was on. I'm like, yes.
4: (laughs) (laughs) The man, the myth, the legend. (laughs) Talk about
3: it. Talk about it.
4: Let's not start any controversy. Here. Oh, come on,
0: <laughs> come on, man. You know, I'm at the start. It. I need something to get me He's going.
4: Diplomatic. Oh, everybody's good. <laughs> and just so you
1: know, we, uh, we got our homeboy, uh, Will Webb, here as well. Ringo couldn't make it in, in the night. So we still got a three man team. Will's holding down. He's actually a Liverpool uh, guy as well. So, hey, it's two on two. Nicole's bringing a tie.
3: Yes, there you go. <laughs> hey,
2: Will, how are you? I, I see you've got taste. Uh, plenty, plenty of taste, plenty of taste. Uh, I'm doing better now that I know Ox is back in training, so I'm feeling
4: good. He is, and he yes. will probably play against Tony's team. in two, uh, hopefully, we'll have
1: everything up tomorrow because
4: cause yeah, we had trouble last week.
0: Yeah, so yeah. We, we, that's why we're gonna come out even stronger today. <laughs> um, but no, today's kind of what's guiding our discussion today with you guys is obviously that, um. Y'all have both been coaching in the game of soccer for a while now. And y'all both have your own path to success and have two great tales to tell. And um, I love to hear some of that. But also, um, I want to know a little bit about what got you into, you know, sharing your knowledge of the game and trying to pass it on to the next generation. Um, Whoever wants to step up and I guess uh, give a reply.
3: I'm going to go first just because I want to intro Cab because um, I played soccer with a couple of his uh, former players. So I think especially really highly of Cab and what he does um, in the game. So I'm going to go first, if you don't mind, Cab. Um, you know, I played the game since I was 10. I came from a basketball and track background. So when I first picked up a ball um, and realized that you can kind of dance on it, move with it, I kind of fell in love with the game after watching uh France play Brazil back in the day and you know, Ronaldo and Rivaldo and Thierry Henry and Zidane Zidane were on the field doing their thing. Um, and it was it was game over for me. So from there I played um, at Albany with a couple of Cabs players. Um and when I was done, I mean, all I ever wanted to do was really play the game of soccer. And when I was done playing, coaching was the next thing that made sense for me. So I'm 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 a youngie, so you know, I haven't been coaching as long as Cab. But for me, the most important thing is the advocacy end of of coaching, seeing some of the issues that we have as Blacks in the game of soccer, the lack of representation um, in the front office, um, from the youth state associations to um, the collegiate game to professional league to international games, you're seeing that the representation for Black coaches doesn't really match. Um, the quality of coaching that we have in this country. We have some of the best coaches who are developing masterful players but aren't necessarily seeing um, and reaping the rewards of the work that they've done. Um, so I just kind of want to intro Cab because uh, Cab develops. He, he has Futsal America. That's a phenomenal program that he's developing national team players all over the place. Um, I played with two former players of his and they would talk about him before I even met cab. I played with two former players. So I felt the first time I met him last year in person, you know, I was like, Oh, I know you. <laughs> you know, I felt like I, I knew him. He was like a, a father to two of my best friends. So I think very highly of him and what he does. And I'll kind of let him get into kind of what he does.
0: Well, actually, Nicole, I'm at the interrupt because I will also intro cab as well too because Uh, Part of the reason why Cab is here on this call right now is because Cab coached me at Howard and before I got to Howard, I never had a goalkeeper coach. I was always self taught. Um, And then working with Cab at Howard, he was the first one to like really show me the ABCs of true goalkeeping, But also What I've always appreciated about Cav is we definitely have uh, had our banter before. He is quite blunt and he will (laughs) critique you, but at the same time it's not to embarrass you. It comes from uh, a sense of care and wanting to see someone truly develop. And he's, he won't waste his time as far as if there's no potential with you, but that's why he will critique you and let you know, these are your weaknesses. These are your strengths and let's play to both sides and work and improve the weaknesses. So that's my own little spiel about Cab, and Cab, you can go ahead and tell all your glorious accolades and all the, you know, pros that you've coached and the trips you have taken, you know, go ahead and speak upon your journey as uh, going to the game of soccer here in America as to what you've seen also
4: back home in England. First of all, who said we ain't out here to embarrass anybody? (laughs) (laughs) What's the fun in that? <laughs> I mean, didn't Man United lose two nil at home to PSG whoa, today? Whoa. <laughs> oh, yeah, yep. to I saw that coming.
0: I just told on, you to go. Interviews over.
4: <laughs> was, was was that <laughs> a, that's a, that's a that's strong that. testimonial? Go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> go, ahead Cal. go ahead. Nah, but you know, I mean, you know, you both said it already. You know that you know we all love the game. You know we all played the game, and you know coming from a social country, which England is, you know, it's always about sharing. So whatever you do, whether you're a player on the ball, whether you're a coach, whether you're a referee, administrator, whatever you do in the game, it's about sharing your passion. So that's, that's really what it's about. It it just doesn't, it's just whatever your level that you're working at, you know, you're just making it relative for that, you know, so whether you're working with little kids or adults you know, pros or semi-pros or college players. You're just sharing, you know, what you know. I mean, you know, there's no exact science to this thing. Everything is relative to who you get to um, share your ideas with, share your methods. And, you know, if, if you have good ideas, you know, ideas that relate to the the people that you're working with, then you can have relative success. If you you don't have good ideas, then, you know, just like Mourinho, it ain't going to work.
0: So, Mm -hmm. so
4: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, this guy (laughs) has won everything in the game as a pro, right? He's won more than anybody else. And he had Mm world-class players at his disposal. And whatever he did, whatever his training, you know, I mean, he he is a, a good guy. He's not a bad guy. He's not a, uh, a poor coach, but he couldn't relate to the players. His ideas, and right. so they haven't been able to perform. So whatever you do in life, it always comes down to the human side of it, right? It doesn't come down to just money. It doesn't just come down to the position you have, the status you have. Every single mm-hmm. day, you've got to know how to motivate and inspire other adults or children to perform. You know, and if you can do that. Then you can be considered a good manager, a good coach, a good teacher, a good mentor you know and 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 then people will respect you for that you know but you know it's 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 never down to you know uh records you know how much money you have, how many games you win, you know mm-hmm. how many players you put into national team or that's nonsense because that doesn't mean anything at the end of the day as you just have seen now with uh Mourinho' career, I mean, mm-hmm. right? What you did in the past doesn't mean anything in 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 reality. All all that matters is how do you relate to people today.
1: Well, mm-hmm. well let me ask you this, Cab, because uh, just to kind of uh, take take a, a quick detour, because uh, something that we that we mentioned um, a few weeks ago after Mourinho was fired was, uh, I think that what what you what we have right now in this generation is like. You know how you had uh, Mourinho and, and, and Winger? and of course the past couple of years, like neither one of them really had, you know, a great ton of uh, success, and what you have is like you have a younger generation, like with Klopp and Guardiola, and in some ways Pochettino and, uh, and Tuchel uh, at and, uh, and PSG, where it's like they're able to kind of connect better with with the current generation, whereas the old, older generation with Mourinho and Wenger, they were having uh, more difficulties with that. Do you think that's uh, more of a, a generational thing or like, you know, where you you have to stay kind of in tune with what the players are into now? Like, what what's, what's your viewpoint on that?
4: Uh, I mean, there's many, many facets to that, right? So down again to your frame of reference. People who may be listening to this. If you're working with 12-year-olds, right, you're not going to be able to relate to 16- or 23-year-olds if your experience is is dealing with pre-puberty. So I don't know how much experience Mourinho uh, or even Wenger have with dealing with teenage players uh, in an environment where not only do you have to win every game, but you got to win in front of 75,000 60,000 people every week and mm-hmm. millions of fans around the world and billions of dollars in terms of investment and sponsorship and TV rights so you know there are different pressures that we as 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 regular human beings that are just you know passing on our knowledge of the of 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 the game you know we don't know all these facets uh, on a daily basis you know you, you watch a game on TV you know you, you don't know today if Rashford had a stomach bug you know right. or, or, or 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 you know did Luke Shaw have a, a slight problem with his ankle did he have flu you know did his girlfriend you know go out with his brother you know you don't know these things why, why are you
0: referencing gigs
4: man why are you, <laughs> <gigs>? <laughs> hey. why are you bringing the gigs <laughs> human, human development human behavior You know, but that's what, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to criticize somebody. It's easy to, to praise somebody without knowing them. Right. And so you've got to know the human side of development when you're working with anybody, you know, your staff, your players, your ownership, uh, your sponsors, the, 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 the the ladies in the cafeteria, you know, uh, permit me to be sexist if they are ladies it could be facts for me but you know that's what it is, it's human side of it so you know maybe with Mourinho as Martial said said in the uh, press conference yesterday hey this coach he's making me attack more, he's allowing us a bit more freedom uh, to, to, to go forward whereas the other coach didn't so maybe Mourinho in the way that he works with the previous uh, skill set of players that he had in the past, that methodology of being more reserved with the ball in your movements, in your position, positioning, uh, work for those mentalities. This being a younger group of players that he's not used to working with at this age, Mm -hmm. he's like, I can't, I can't get these guys to uh, perform the way I want them to because they don't have that experience of, of, of maintaining things. You know, they don't have the experience of winning things at the club level. You know, about yeah. has won a World Cup, but that's not enough to perform week in, week out in the Premier League, right. you know, in the rain, in the snow, in the mud, in, in, in a 30,000-seat stadium to a 75,000-seat stadium. Everything right. in football, everything is relative.
1: Gotcha. So, uh, so Nicole, um, of course, uh, we mentioned earlier that uh, that you are an executive director with uh, with the Rochester uh, uh, State League. Is that is City League? Uh, is that, have yeah, play?
3: City Soccer League. Yeah, I started a league in the inner city of Rochester um, because there wasn't a place for a lot of the kids to play. Um, we have some extremely skilled kids, and this summer was this fall actually was a lot of fun because what we did is throughout the rec centers. Um, we took the basketballs away. You know, we put uh, goals up into the uh, gyms, mm-hmm. um, and they were soccer havens. So we would have kids who were coming in. Um, they're looking to play basketball. They have their basketballs, and they're like, what's, what's going on here, right? And we're like, well, for the next month, it's going to be soccer. So you have these kids who are coming in, and they started out angry, you know, because they're like, they couldn't play basketball. Then I, I would put my most skillful kids, you know, they're playing this game. It's 5v5. You know, what does this sound like? know they're extremely skillful with their feet they're competing hard this is different type of grit they're trying to break each other's ankles and they realize (laughs) this is fast high-flying exciting game these kids who came in here you know thinking soccer was whack Mm -hmm. you know they're they're walking out of this gym saying when is practice like i want to play that sport like that game is for us um so i think and Cavs big on this too is introducing soccer and inner cities in a way that appeals to all people is an avenue to welcome new opportunities to people from different communities who wouldn't otherwise play. Um, So that's one of the things I love about my league. You know, I have um, kids from the ages of four to seven um, in one league, you know, I have eight to 10 year olds in another league, I have um, 11 to 13, I have a a U19 league and I had to expand up to U23 because we just have so many kids who want the opportunity to play. Um, unfortunately, they only get one practice and one game a week, and that's not enough. We all know that's not enough for them. They want to play 24-7. You know, we have this high refugee population, and these kids are out here just balling hard, and we go live. And um, I have people calling me just wanting to know when soccer is, when they can play. I had someone from Africa calling me. I was like, how, how do you think you're going to get here to play? I mean, I'm, I'm glad you you want to jump in, but <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get you there. <laughs> you know, mm. it's, it's it's a great game, and it's, and it's a game that I think um, – Many people think are just for one race and one population, but once they see it played in a way that's different um, and that's fun and that's fast, and that's skillful, they recognize that it's a sport that's exciting um, and that's for everybody. It's the world's game.
1: Well, you, you yeah. actually posed a, a very good uh, uh, question there, and, I, and I'll open it up for uh, everyone, including you, Tony. Uh, as coaches, uh, what's been like? I guess like your biggest obstacle as far as you know, attracting kids that, that are basically in, in, in the hood uh, to wanting to try out soccer? Because just like how you were saying, Nicole, uh, you have that resistance initially and you kind of still have to sell them as far as like what makes this game attractive.
4: I'll say this. Um, after working 30 years in the D.C. area, um, mm-hmm. money and resources like facilities, right? Yes, If you don't have green space, whether that's grass or a turf field in a um, inner city neighborhood, it's almost impossible to get um, a low-income family to travel 30 minutes outside their neighborhood to go to a practice, (laughs) never mind a game on a weekend because they just don't have the time, you know, so they're they going to, you know, if you've got single family parents, it's going to be impossible. And even if you have two working parents, they just don't have um, access to just get work, pick up a kid from school, bring them to a practice, and then go, you know, back to work or whatever. So it's very hard. You have to make the game accessible. So that requires facilities, you know, and then, If you're going to develop players that are going to be competitive, then, you know, they're going to eventually go into the travel arena and that costs money. So that's another deterrent. So if if we, in Europe, that's solved through social government services, right? So no kid is left behind. You know, there are free programs, free facilities, free leagues for most kids in most neighborhoods, not every neighborhood. That's, that's almost non-existent here in the States now.
3: I was able to do that. I mean, I have a relationship with City Rock and with the school district. Um, so I have no overhead costs. I mean, uniforms is one thing, but um, I have access to all of the gyms, whether it's the, the city recreation gyms, or it's the high school gyms, or if it's the turf fields for outdoor or the stadium, that's no longer being used for the rhinos in this area. Um, my community has worked really hard to make sure that kids have access, but I will say this, that's also be, it's taken years of talking to the right people and building the right relationships um, people who understand but also see that there's um, a byproduct of playing the sport, right we also set a really high standard of academics like I have three valedictorians this year um, so when we start pitching to them that not only are we offering these kids soccer in a place where they're safe, they're they're warm, they're They have a meal and different things, but we're also making sure that we're providing academic support and different things that are gonna help our kids succeed off and on the field. Um, People buy into that and they wanna help you. Um, So that worked for me and it is very difficult and everything that Cab said is tough. Transportation is the biggest issue. That's why providing opportunities right in kids' neighborhoods um, where they can play in their backyards is extremely important if you're in an inner city. it cap hit everything. You know, the parents have a very difficult time getting their kids um, from places. Sometimes, a lot of parents are working, um, and these kids will play soccer 24/7 if you give them a place to play. And we're just trying to do that.
1: And, you know? and that's crazy. Like you're talking about, just you know, you know, 30, 30 minutes outside of like where they live. You know, like, of course, we've we've heard stories like you know, like like with Cliff Dips Dipsy, where like he had to travel a good two and a half hours. So like you know, just thirty minutes like that's a that's a quick ride from here. That's like going down um, uh, down the south side. So, you know,
4: that that's 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 incredibly tough. And don't forget, um, uh sorry to interrupt, but don't forget with the gentrification of almost every city in the United States, uh-huh. the traffic in the city has multiplied exponentially. So now what would be a uh 15, 25 minute ride across town is forty five minutes plus. So even if you do a training session or have a game in the city, it could take up to an hour for a kid in an inner city community to get to that practice uh, or game. And, and that just rules them out. There's just no way they can handle that week to week. So we've got to create another environment to engage them in their own communities and in their own schools because that's yeah. really uh, the key. Is getting the game in the schools,
3: Cab? I wonder if this is an issue for you because I know, and I, even up to yesterday, um, I have developmental academies, uh, the DAs, knocking at the door now, wanting you know to get involved. Um, and in order for that to happen, you know, again, that you have kids who are commuting, but that's in the eye of U.S. soccer, soccer is the pipeline to potentially playing on a national team. So now you have these players who you're developing and who are playing and who are having a great time playing free and creatively in their backyards with their friends. Um, now they're kind of getting picked up by some of these DAs. They're playing for these teams and they're playing in these, these stifled systems and they're, they're no, no, no longer necessarily looking like their old selves. Um, but there's all these other issues because uh, transportation is a problem. So um, it's just tough but if that and that's the pipeline for kids to play at the next level. Um, Cab, what do you do um with situations with are you a, you're not a development academy, are you? No. No, okay.
4: No, we're we're a skills program, you know. Futsal America is just year round training and then you get the opportunity, uh the kids who are enrolled full time uh play both outdoor and indoor. Mm-hmm. You know, indoor it's futsal, although they do play outdoor futsal. And then outdoor they'll play in in, in regional leagues in the D C, Virginia, Maryland area. Um but that also includes Delaware, Pennsylvania, depending on, on, on the teams that are there. Um but you know, you can't uh, uh you can't create a solution uh on nothing, right? So <laughs> even if you have Uh, totally free program Uh, if there's no way to play then you know you can show up uh, at a at a at a field and the kids can't get there you know so you you've got to go into these communities and the only way you can do that is either at the rec centers or the schools and Mm -hmm. the rec centers only usually will have one gym so that's already being utilized by basketball, especially, yep. especially in, in in Washington D.C. Uh, outdoor there's just not there's just nothing there because even if uh, you have kids, say the youngest kids four five six seven you can get them at four o'clock you can get them on a field. As soon as it hits five six o'clock now you got the travel kids paying to use those fields, and then after them you've got the adult social leagues, and that in every. Uh, city in the US, Adult Social Leagues now is the multi-dollar industry. So mm-hmm. They're taking all the prime time hours of every lighted turf field or grass field uh, in any city. So so now you're, what was already a problem in the 90s uh, when we were doing, when we started in in the city is now multiplied by 10 because there's a new generation of people that have moved into these cities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, football (laughs) is the only way to engage kids in the inner city year-round in their neighborhoods because there are still enough outdoor basketball courts, tennis courts, parking lots that maybe haven't been taken over by uh, basketball or by gentrification of buying lots and building condos on that land, so you can start futsal programs, you know, like even on a school playground, you know, and and get a bunch of kids involved with the game, uh, and try to teach them the skills so that they can have some fun with the ball. You know, we like. So, go ahead.
0: Um, I, I hate to interrupt. I just want to make sure. I, there's a question that's burning me. Uh, to ask <laughs> both of you guys and because currently I'm working on my D license within the US Soccer Federation. And um, you know the ho- ever since they revamped the whole licensing system, you know, you got the grassroots model with the four V4, 77, 99, 11. 11 now I'm on to the D. And they've definitely made the whole focus on their play practice play model. Yeah. And a lot of that is based on the research that they've gotten from France. Obviously, France being World Cup winners again and everything. And the discussions I've had with some of my colleagues, with some other coaches within the program, within the licensed program, um, I would want to hear your guys' opinion about this. And if it's going to be a viable curriculum, if you will, here in the States based upon all our different issues that we got going on.
3: Cam, take this one away. I already know where you're going with this. (laughs) (laughs) I know, too. I'm lobbing
4: this up, Cam. I'm lobbing it up.
3: Let it (laughs) go.
4: Well, look, you know, 30 years of dealing with U.S. soccer, (laughs) no U.S. soccer curriculum has ever worked, right? So the way they jump from trend to trend and, and, and this method to that method, Let's understand what U.S. soccer deals with, right? They, they are middle-class people who, who live in middle-class neighborhoods mm-hmm. and deal with middle-class kids and wealthy kids. Mm-hmm. So that's the perspective from which they create their models. You know, um, as, as, as much as I love the educational system in the United States and college sports, I've never seen a world-class player come from college soccer. Thank you. So you create a curriculum to nurture players for college. You're not going to develop national team level players that can compete with the rest of the world. Yeah. You can beat Jamaica. You can beat Guatemala, which you should do because you've got more money and resources. and, And, and more importantly, you have numbers that are bigger than, many countries populations, never mind the soccer population. So what you have to identify in that frame of reference that they have is how do I how do I create something that will reach all kids, right? That will that will nurture all kids, not just one particular group, one particular uh Neighborhood, city, academy, or whatever. So, yeah, play, practice, play sounds great, right? If you put it into if you, if you put it into practical terms, yeah. If kids come to a practice session and they're playing, you know, they can play. In England, we call it Wembley. Here, they call it World Cup. Let them play. Great. That'll get rid of some of that nervous energy. And by the time they've they've played it, they may actually listen to you when you finally put them in, in, in a group and talk to them. See, the problem in America is that you have so many people from different levels of the game that adults want to teach, right? I'm, I'm Not everybody, but most adults want to teach. They want to impart their knowledge on kids and make them, you know, like PSG, right, or Barcelona. Mm-hmm. They want to get that. From them so, their expectation is I work with a kid, I practice with the kid at receiving a ball and passing a ball. Now, you should be able to pass the ball like your Modric. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, look, I've all I've spent two hours with you, you should know how to kick a ball, <laughs> right? But there is no creativity from that environment, there is no uh, uh imagination, there's no uh working with improvisation, so the kid doesn't get to experiment. Mm. Mm-hmm. They bought something in an isolated uh, environment, right? Uh, doing something over a five-yard distance or a 10-yard distance, and so they're not getting a chance to experiment. You know, if you watch any child in the front of a video game, they, they practice for hours on end without any conversation with anybody but the person they're playing with, right? And they lose constantly, right? They're getting killed every shot, whether they're playing Fortnite or FIFA, you know, they're getting shot and they keep playing. They're getting scored upon and they keep playing. In other words, they're making thousands of mistakes a day and still (laughs) learning to master the techniques of the game, which buttons to press, which uh, techniques to use, to solve the problem and then eventually they master that level and they go to the next level. That's how you develop in soccer. You've got to fail a thousand times a day to master something. Mm. And so a curriculum of whatever US soccer pro is not going to develop a creative player that could one day become, you know, this this world star the way Michael Jordan did. in in basketball, and just using that as a quick example, Michael Jordan failed in high school and Mm -hmm. came back as the best basketball player in history, right? Why? Because he took the negative and he turned it into a positive. He didn't have a coach, you know, do drills with him, right? He just took his street game and took it to another environment and somebody else believed in him and then his skills started coming out as he matured, you know, and became the world's best. Now that's an extreme example. It's not going to happen with everybody. And that's why I said to you, football is relative. You've got to know how to deal with the human being. If you know how to deal with the human being, you can get more out of that human being. You can modify that person's behavior. And once you modify somebody's behavior, they can improve they can perform better. They can play with more confidence. They can play with more creativity. If you box them in and you try to do things based on what Barcelona are doing or what PSG are doing or what Bayern Munich are doing, well, guess what? You don't have Neymar in your team. You don't have Marcelo. You don't Mm -hmm. have Modric. You don't have... So you cannot perform like those clubs. So why are you following their methodology? Why are you following France Nobody in the United States lives in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> so so you know, in, in dealing with uh, the kids in our communities, we got to know how to relate to them, you know, and that may be through music, maybe through fashion, you know, uh, a variety of sports. But, you know, that's why I said futsal. It's as close to and one basketball yep. as there is. Yep. Kids can relate to that, but they don't have to be six foot four to play it. They don't have to be three hundred pounds to play. They don't have to be able to, to 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 mentally focus on swinging a bat to hit one ball. They can be free, you know, just like every European kid and South American kid <laughs> learned on the street and then became Neymar and Messi, and Pelé, and Ronaldinho, and all these world's best players. Get, get the game back to these kids in the street, and they will show you how to play. And yeah. that's the I, truth.
3: And there's so many different surfaces that people learn the game on, and I think we're so used to playing on this well-manicured grass. When you're in Brazil, there's a janitor that can whoop your butt. Because it's, it's 24-7. There's the landlady who will tear you apart because they're playing on the beach, right? When you're touching, there's a wave hit, and you have to take a touch differently. When you're playing on the street and there's a rock, there's a pebble, the ball's going to move differently. And these guys have still mastered to play in pressured situations skillfully and, and, and find ways out of these pressure situations to be creative, to be skillful, to have fun doing these things that we can't do because we're so used to having practice on um, this perfect ground field. And we're being told exactly how to think and what to do. And you haven't allowed kids to have this free time with their friends where they're literally trying things that they're seeing and things that they've never seen before. I remember I thought I was making up all types of moves. I was naming things, the Herculator, the... The nick like all things that I'm like, can oh. we give
0: video footage of the Herculator? Please?
3: <laughs> no, they, they've all been done before. There's nothing new under the sun. I learned later that I wasn't making anything up.
4: <laughs> Let me show you a prime example here, right? You, you know, you, you're obviously you guys know what a pop Warner football is, right? Mm-hmm. You got pee wee football, right? Mm-hmm. You got five, six, seven year old kid playing tackle football they're going in hard you know with their helmets banging each other right i see in dc and i'm pretty sure it's every city i see these kids man train three four times a week and they are before and after every practice they're throwing the ball at each other and running after each other and tackling Mm -hmm. pumping their chest and they're only 5, 6, and 7 years old. They ain't 14, 15, right? U.S. Mm. soccer says to their kids, you can't hit the ball till you're 12 years old. <laughs> you understand the difference? That's the mentality. U.S. soccer is so scared of liability and insurance and all them things that they've already destroyed the mentality of the kids in this country at being uh, creative. Right Whereas in in every inner city community where kids are playing basketball and football, they're expressing themselves every day, every day, for hours before practice, after practice, and that's the difference right now. If you took those uh peewee football kids and you gave them a a small soccer ball and you said, "You know run with the ball and take on your man and beat him four, five, six, seven times." Trust me, they'll come out with moves that'll go viral around the world because whatever happens in urban American culture, urban American youth becomes a global culture that every other kid around the world looks up to. You know, and you've already seen that in Atlanta with Atlanta United, you've got all okay. hip-hop artists coming to MLS games, wearing the jerseys, and now all these hip-hop artists want to wear the jerseys. Right, mm-hmm. sure. you've got Drake talking about Beckham and all this. You know, you, you, <laughs> you've got something there that if the inner cities of America really engage in this sport, every world class player in the world will take notice that this is the place to be. America can be the Champions League of the world if they give the game to the inner cities. Absolutely, but they're holding Absolutely. It back. They're holding it because they lost all their other sports. So they're just you know they're just doing enough to create a little bit of a social PR, but not enough to give it to everybody because they want to make money from it for themselves, they want to control it for themselves, and that's what it comes down to and and that's not just u s soccer that's every governing body in the world is just trying to control the game for themselves it's whether they win or not is not the the issue they it's It's always about power, it's always about control.
1: You know, um, they actually uh you mentioned something, Nicole, that I'm gonna get to in just a second about the quality of fields, especially in how it um affected our ability to fail in our qualifying for the World Cup. But I wanted to ask y'all a quick question. Um as far as like in in becoming a coach and the cost involved mm. with with uh with becoming a coach. Mm. A coach mm. like what um how can, how can I put this uh, coach? Um, what do you, what basically are you, are you getting with the amount of money that you're spending to become a coach here in America?
3: To be I tell you for me, I look for this is gonna sound bad. Um, I look for coaches outside of America, like Brazilian coaches, um, Haitian coaches, um, coaches who understand my players because I have such a high refugee population. I need mm-hmm. coaches who can kind of understand their style of play. Um, and can kind of coach the style of soccer that I love the most. Um, and the style of soccer that I think I I'm, I'm going to look forward to seeing um, my country play. Um, so in my mind, I'm always thinking, how am I going to make soccer in the be- in, in U S better um, with my program? How can I, can, how can I make this program better? So I, I personally, like I stepped away from coaching and I'm trying to bring in some of the best coaches to work with my my teams um, so that I can see what we can do in player development and coaching development to change the way that things are done and and to do things a little bit differently. I'm always trying to do something a little outside of the box. Um, So I don't mind if I have a coach who may have done Brazilian training or UEFA. Um, I kind of prefer it. That's gonna sound horrible, but I I kind of prefer that. No, no,
1: you're you fine. Cause like, cause like cause here's what I see. Cause like, I I look at cause I, I've had friends of mine, including Tony, that have uh, tried to re- uh, refer me, and then you know, trying to get into coaching myself, and then I look at like the cost, the the mm-hmm. amount of money that that it takes to become licensed in America. Then I, I look at, and then I hear about like it, it costs only like six hundred bucks in in Spain or four hundred bucks in Germany. And I'm like, why am I spending you know three thousand dollars for mind you in in this country you know because especially well it, I think it affects both men and women uh, because the systems are closed, it's like how exactly do you really prove yourself when you know the opportunities to really step up to a higher level really aren't there, yeah. So, y'all could elaborate. <laughs> well, well,
3: I'm just because I completely agree with what you're saying. Because, and I had this conversation with the uh, the last president of U.S. soccer, Sunil Gallato, when he was in um, mm. Western New York. And I was asking him about um, the lack of opportunities for coaches of color because we have quality coaches who have the accolades, who have done just phenomenal things in this game. Um, and, you know, Sunil, part of his presentation, he addressed it and he talked about the lack of diversity and that they're aware of it. But a lot of times when you bring a coaching staff on, they bring along with them who they're comfortable with. And sometimes that's people who they, they look like. Um, so our coaches sometimes just don't get those opportunities. I will say that Mike Curry, um, who's one of uh, the United soccer coaches. Um, he's, he does a lot with the foundation. Now they have a foundation that's going to help with coaching education grants. Um, so a lot of the inner city coaches or any of the coaches that um, Kind of need some help getting their coaching education licenses. Um, he'll be helping with funding and different things. So I believe it's in August, there will be some grants out through the United Soccer coaches to help with this issue that we're talking about. Um, but he was the first, well, he was the goalkeeper coach that Jurgen Klinsman brought on because he met Jurgen Klinsman at one of these conventions. Um, Jurgen Klinsmann kept him in mind and thought, man, we need some diversity. I need to bring in someone who's different. And through that relationship, he kept Mike Curry's information. And when he was coach with the U.S. national team, he brought this guy in because he looked different. And he was different and he was American. Um, so I, I love that story. Mike just told that to me um, when we were at the convention in Chicago a couple of weeks ago. And I thought that was very cool. Um, that's That was Jurgen Klinsmann's thought process was to bring people in who were different um, so that he could kind of have that iron sharpens iron with different people from different backgrounds and kind of, stay sharp, and keep fresh in new ideas. I thought that was wonderful.
0: Nicole, you, you touched upon about how people hire um, who they feel comfortable with, and I totally agree with that. The one thing I've definitely experienced uh, being here in the South, and as a person who is born and raised here in Georgia, uh, I don't have an accent. Um, my parents didn't come from a foreign country, and um, you know I am that suburban Black kid that you know came through. But there's already sometimes a bias for coaches that have an accent or come from a different country. Whereas if you're just, I hate to say it, but a regular old black coach, (laughs) it's almost like people don't trust that because they're like, wait, you're just black and you play soccer? No, that doesn't happen. And so there's already these kind of uh, prejudices that a coach has to have a foreign idea. And I get everything, what you touched upon, apart, you know, bringing different styles and different, you know, um, concepts and different uh, tactical abilities. But I will say as far as, you know, being a black coach here in the States and someone who is born and raised in the States, it's almost like another strike against you if you're from here. It's almost like you're cursed from being from here too, which is one of the struggles that I deal with currently. You know? Well,
3: you know what I think? I think there is this push um, for black American-born coaches. Um, and for a while, I was afraid that I was going to create this type of divide because I, I'm trying not to, to get too controversial. Um, <laughs> Please, no. Come on. <laughs> oh, man, I got to keep it PC. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'm going to leave it right there. Um, but there is a push. Um, in su- in support of more black American born coaches and I'm just gonna stop right there
0: <laughs> okay I hear you <laughs> <laughs> no um cab i also wanted to revisit something you touched upon earlier with the style of play and you were talking about you know the creativity and the improv and um you you will be happy to know that if you recall back when you were training both myself and Uh, at Howard with goalkeeping. And one thing I loved about training with Jason was that we kind of created our whole and one of goalkeeping. And so he and I kind of came up with this whole thing where we always had to distribute doing around the back passes or through the legs. Till this day, even in my adult leagues, I have to do an around the back pass distributing out the back as a goalkeeper. And it's just one of those things, like you said, you know, as part of our culture, it provides that style and that, you know, that je ne sais quoi that we just bring to the game, if you will.
4: Man, I saw, you know, growing up as a kid, the two greatest goalkeepers in the world. By the way, the very best goalkeeper in history, Gordon Banks died today. Just passed away. <laughs> that. Yeah. Rest in peace, Mr. Banks. But after Gordon Banks, the next great goalkeeper, uh, at least from England, was Ray Clements. Mm-hmm. And with Ray Clemens in the 70s and 80s, he won everything, right? He won uh, three European Cups, which is now the Champions League, you know, as well as uh, a dozen uh, English Leagues, which is now Premier League. Right. But after Ray, now, technically Ray Clemens had zero floor play with his feet. He could, you know, he could catch shots. He could, he come make <laughs> catches from crosses, and, and you saw, like, uh, I don't know if you saw the Wolves game yesterday where right at the end of the game, the goalkeeper jumped for the ball on his line, and he went to catch it. And, and the Newcastle, uh, uh, sorry, the Newcastle goalkeeper went to, went to catch it. Uh, Dubrovska, I think his name is. And the Wolves uh, player headed the ball through his hands, right? So the art of catching the ball has, has gone from goalkeepers today. Now it's just block a shot. Look, it's like De Gea, you know, basically futsal goalkeeping. You're using every part of your body,
0: but. Kick saves and all that, yeah.
4: Which is the improvisation, right? Mm -hmm. So so one of the problems for goalkeepers today is that they're being pulled away from the team, trained in isolation, Mm -hmm. and expected to perform in crowded penalty areas under pressure from not only the opposing striker, but defenses. Mm Mm-hmm. Best goalie I saw in the world, in, in history, who could deal with that was Bruce grabala And mm. Bruce grabala who came in after Ray Clemens uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, did exactly what you and Jason used to do, and throw the ball from behind his back, through his legs. The man did handstands. <laughs> 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 I, I was in Rome. Uh, at 17 years old, I was in Rome. It was the Champions League final. We were playing Roma on their own field in the final when the penalty kicks. This man, you know, he, he, he was twerking. He was doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Shaking his. Shaking right? knees. You know, that was it. You know, and, and putting off these Italian players, and they were kicking the ball over the bar because they were just like bamboozled by this guy. Yeah, that man yeah. Just And that is, (laughs) you know, that's improvisation, man. That's what I want to see from anybody. It's great if you can do something technically well, but when you're under pressure, just come up with something off the top of your head to make the save, to make the shot, you know, to make the play. You know, just improvise, and that's what we got to let kids do: is let them teach us how to play. As, in, instead of us always teaching them how to play.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Um, so question for you guys. Um, actually, like going back to uh, what I was going to ask you here, because, um, Nicole, you have brought up, you know, the issue of players not wanting to uh, play on fields that are below below quality, as I guess you could say. Um, now, Cab, I know that uh, from what Tony was telling me, I guess you had a uh, – a bit of a relationship for uh, with uh Bruce Arena going back to the DC United uh, days and I just wanted to like get get y'all's feedback as far as like what uh what direction the um, I guess the men's national team is going going through and also uh the women's national team is also kind of going through the same issues <laughs> as well.
3: It's gonna be an
4: interesting World Cup.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it folks.
4: <laughs> It's, um, you know, I, I don't want to disparage any individual person, you know, um, and their influence on the game. but mm-hmm. So I'll just say in general, right, that there have been people in the past in this country that have been given positions of power and responsibility for our sport, for our clubs, that have not had the best interest... Uh, even in the national team position, you know, certain people have uh, tried to put their own people in staff. You know, it's it's kind of like a president picking their own cabinet, right? So they want to pick their own people for, for the high power positions, uh, knowing full well that those positions aren't just assistant coach, you know, but in positions that even when you're gone, they're still going to be there. So in other words, you may be gone as the, the head coach, as the director or whatever, but your ideas and your legacy is going to remain. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, the continu- continuation of your system and your values continues to be prevalent throughout the pyramid from top to bottom. Not, it never works in this country bottom up. It only works top down. Everybody looks at the top and wants to copy the top, and uh, because they want to reach the top, nobody looks at the bottom and say, "Hey, you know, how can we improve this and <laughs> that the foundation?" Right? I mean, yeah, yeah, build they a do. house with a roof, yeah. you know, and then build the walls and the, fa- and the, and the floor. You know, you got to dig a hole and dig it deep enough so that your foundations will last for decades. They don't do that; they do it the other way. Uh. So the people at the top only bill from the top. And that's why everything underneath them continues to crumble and Mm. crumbled from, yeah, like you said, the men's national team to now the women's national team, because it's the same ideas, the same people, the same backgrounds, the same education, Mm. the same frame of reference all through. It's, it's, it's all, uh, in England, we call it an old boys act. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just like when you go in Congress and you just see the same old faces there till they die. Damn. Dropping yes,
3: man. I just...
4: You know, so we're not going to see a change in that, unfortunately, because the opportunity for change was lost the day when Gilardi resigned mm-hmm. and we had the opportunity as uh, as a voting base to, to vote the next person in. And all... The potentially uh, revolutionary um, figures that were in that presidential race, they lost and they lost big time. Yeah. Because it was always, like I said before, about money, about control. It was about getting that World Cup. You know, so they got their 2026 World Cup, and guess what happened? The FBI stopped investigating FIFA. Oh, yeah. what a surprise. Yeah. Right? So, so when you didn't get the World Cup, FBI was on everybody's backside. But as soon as they got the World Cup, nobody hears about FIFA anymore, you know, and all their corruption and all those people that were involved. It's completely dropped. And that's wow. that should have been the biggest uh revelation from all of this. That this game will never change for the betterment of people in poorer, low income, you know, urban environments. Uh until of course their gentrification plan is complete and they've moved everybody out and now they're in in the cities. Yep. And that's what's you know what? that's happening. Yeah. That's what's happening, you know. So and now you can't say, you know, urban, you know, in, in 10 years time you won't be saying, oh, we need to help the, the urban communities. We're going to be talking about, you know, the communities outside the urban cities. The city. rural, yeah. Exactly. There, there, was also
0: one point I remember last year when uh, Sunil Gulati, right before he left, and he spoke at the um, youth soccer organization, like dinner, ball, or whatever it was. And this was him really campaigning to make himself look good. And, you know, at the dinner, it was supposed to be celebrating youth soccer. All he spoke about was bragging about what he had accomplished. I think I heard about term. that. But also what was disgusting about it, too, was that he kept bragging about how much money he has in the coffers as far as um, U.S. soccer is concerned. And that, you know, financially, what we have in savings is yeah. great. He kept on harping. Yeah.
1: on that. Yeah. But what are you doing with that money, though? It's like, like <laughs> it's great that you have a surplus. Like I think it's like right now the surplus is like 150 million. But I'm like, OK, it's great that we have all this money. But what are we doing with it? Because otherwise, you know, it's, it's basically more of the same and it 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 be, it becomes it becomes insulting after a while because it's like okay you great that you have this money, but you know we have a program that's that's in bad need of improvement and it' its it was one thing when you know the men's team you know it had its ups and downs and everything, but for the most part the women's uh, side was always the standard bearer uh all occurring. And now, like, and honestly, I, I probably say it probably goes back to, uh, well, actually, you could probably say even the last World Cup because the last <laughs> World Cup there were low expectations then too, and but, but of course we we managed to the, the the win that then you had the 2016 Olympics. Of course, the men didn't even qualify for that, and then the women, I think, I think they went out either in the group stage or like in the in the first knockout um, yeah. round. So, and of course, it's the time has gone on and you've seen there's still expectations are kind of shaky as far as what's going to happen in France like you just saw even despite they had a really long winning streak like they got pretty much smacked by France uh, like last month mm. so it, it's definitely a, a case of where you know you, a lot needs to be fixed but no, nobody really wants to address it cause I guess because that would cost money and who wants to use all this
4: money that we have <laughs> It's, in the women's game, it's not a money issue. That's a red herring, right? So that's, that's, that's more about equality. That's like Title IX rights, where you would expect the players and the coaches to be paid the same as the men, right? So that's another argument. In the women's game, it's, it's, it's the same issue as the men's game. It's who is in charge. Mm-hmm. Ideas are running the game. There are, there, there, I've been around the women's game uh, since 89. So before they won their first World Cup, I was part of the women's game in the United States. The reason they were successful for ten years, from uh, from eighty nine to to ninety nine, was because there was no competition, right? right. You only had nobody was playing. Literally, <laughs> well, I, I don't want to say that because China was playing, you know, always yeah, Germany, Sweden was playing, you know, in the Scandinavian countries. They're not as sexist as as, as England and France and and Spain and, and the southern European countries, right? Uh, in Asia, again, same thing. They put just as many resources into uh, their women or their girls' participation in sports uh, as, as America does. So that's why you see them always compete in China, for example, uh, in the Olympics, right? But soccer is not their prevalent sport. So they didn't develop soccer players. You know, they, they in 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 most of the world, from Africa to Asia, uh, when I say Asia, meaning uh, East Asia, Southeast Asia, um, uh, Western Europe. It's always been sexism. Right. So there were So even in Brazil. Right. We always consider Brazil to create the most um, skillful players. There are no girls leagues in Brazil. Right. Go to Rio the biggest city in Brazil, you will not find a girls' league like you can find here in D.C. or New York or uh, Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So, but yet they always put a team in a World Cup and and the Olympics. And why are they doing that? That's through futsal, right? So they all those girls are playing with men or boys, right? But they're not playing in organized leagues. So Marta, five-time World Player of the Year, she never... Won a national championship for Brazil. She never won a state cup. You know. <laughs> a local, you know. You know. I'm the best team in 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 the area because I won three games on a weekend. Look. <laughs> <stop that. laughs> you know that's dumb.
3: You dumb. Some barrel Neymar every day.
4: You know. So I I love it. It. I love it. The girls' I love game it. has been the only game in town. Now in the last. I'd say a dozen years, uh, they've invested more money in the national team program. Still not really, still hasn't filtered into the schools. There are no high schools playing girls' soccer anywhere in Europe, right? But they do have private clubs, and these clubs are funded socially, meaning through the government. And then you'll have a few private clubs. So, for example, in England, we'll now have Women's Premier and Super League, so, you've right. teams like Arsenal, Manchester United just started a women's they team. They just game. got their team. Yeah. So they just got one. So, look, Real Madrid doesn't even have a, a, a I know a it's crazy, team. right? So, so, uh, Ajax doesn't even have a women's team. So, there are still big multi billionaire, uh, clubs that have no interest in developing the girls' side, even if it promotes more females coming to their games. Right. or female fans, which they should be doing. I had this big argument with DC United when I worked with them about that, saying you need to promote equally the girls' side as you do the men's side, and they told me they are only in the business of selling tickets. They weren't even, mm-hmm. they didn't, they weren't even interested in youth development in the 90s, and this was a problem that I had with them, and I said, I'm, I'm done with them. I gave them two years. I said, I'm done with them because they don't know. They don't care. They only wanted to sell tickets. They thought by bringing in three Bolivians, the entire Hispanic community of Washington <laughs> would come out to watch them. This is how ignorant these people are. Because the did,
0: did you also mention like you're trying to sell out RFK Stadium
4: too, which was a. Good
0: guy, like a trash <laughs> the
4: stadium at the time, too. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's RFK is a tough one, you know. But if yeah. it had worked something it's out, special, of the Redskins, special
1: special you case. know,
4: they could have rebuilt RFK, right? Yeah. You know, the city wasn't again politically motivated at that time. They still want the Redskins for some reason. Oh, it's still a goal, man, because now you've got all these. Customers who've moved into the city, right? Everyone yeah. in the in the '90s was leaving the city. Now, now they not, came back. Now they're coming back. Now they want to bring uh, the Redskins back in because it's so difficult to get to uh, <laughs> you know, FedEx Field. <laughs> I, I've
1: I've been to FedEx once for actually it was for Man United and um, Barcelona, like it was, it's the the year after they met in the Champions League final. And that place, one, it's a sweat box (laughs) uh, to no end. And then, two, getting out there, like you can even take the metro. Like, that's just a three year journey to get out there.
4: What what annoys me is that, you know, in the 90s, we had a World Cup here, we had Olympics here, you know, so local kids could go and watch a World Cup game and Olympic soccer and Barcelona, and Man United, and Real Madrid in the city. Now mm-hmm. they got to go outside the city yep. to watch that. D.C. will never host a World Cup or Olympics or a major international game ever again. Oh, my gosh. And and this is the nation's capital. Can you imagine mm. never going to Wembley, never going to Paris, never going uh, to Rome to watch uh, a major wow. international yeah. game? Well, well that's... Washington DC the most powerful city in the world supposedly wow. has no world class soccer to watch ever until Damn. they build another ma- ma- major stadium in the in this city so what do they do they they build a tennis sized stadium of 20,000 seats <laughs> on the border front and say yeah we're sold out <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know what though, because like, of course, for, for those who know me, they know that you know. Of course, I I've I've been following MLS since day one. Like I remember the very first game in San Jose. So like I I followed the I was uh, I was up in Richmond, and so like I knew all too well about all the stadium attempts and everything, and like just how how you're saying like with um, with the new stadium, like. Even like for even beyond the D C United games where you still had uh international friendlies, uh sometimes you had occasional qualifiers there. And like for for this for the size of what Audi Field is now, you can't even get those friendlies now because it's so small and it's exactly. like, it's a shame because uh for a city with that strong of a of uh, it's, it's 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 a really big soccer hotbed and you basically say like, hey, we're, we're going to just focus on DC United and not worry about trying to get all these other events that would make it even more attractive
4: to to want to wanna, um, have a soccer event there. And it was all about raising ticket prices. They they had no way of getting twenty thousand people in RFK, and they were losing so much money. Now they can say, hey, oh, we, we got Rooney at what thirty five years old, and and now we can sell tickets for ninety bucks. Yeah, right. But shit, you can't you can't even
1: uh, you can't even get a local TV deal because they just got the deal with Flow Sports and out like I'd never heard of until they announced it. <laughs> so it's yeah. like like you you have all this you had all this momentum and you basically just said, hey, we're gonna make you get on this uh, streaming platform that nobody's ever heard of. Like, you could even do YouTube TV. You couldn't do uh, like there's a number of, of options out here that you could have done outside of some some unknown um platform and it just you're shooting yourselves in the foot and and not to mention you're taking yourselves off TV which you know people still need to, uh you know uh, an option on TV like not not everyone is caught up to cutting uh cutting cable and everything so that that's a real missed opportunity. Um before I before I let y'all go, um Nicole uh tell tell us more about what you're doing with the with the United Soccer Coaches, and I guess like you're, you're moving to a, a new role this year?
3: Um, I don't know about this year, um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I don't, shouldn't even talk about that, but, yeah, um, I'm with the United Soccer Coaches, um, Black Soccer Coaches group, Cab's in this group with us as well. Um, I'm in one of the leadership positions, I'll say that. Um, yeah, there's some amazing things that we'll be doing this year, so, I mean, we'll definitely have to jump back on and kind of talk about it when we can. Um, but there's there's some cool, cool things that we're going to be doing just to kind of make sure that we're promoting um, soccer in the black community and that we're building a black soccer um, infrastructure um, where the game's able to grow and we're able to see our coaches and our players and our administrators and our officials advance. Um, there's been a lot of people who put some great work down, started with Lincoln Phillips, who was the first chair uh, hey, on <laughs> Howard, man, Howard, man. <laughs> and a lot of amazing chairs who have been visionaries who just have a great idea on the things that we can do um, and we're gonna try to move a lot of their goals and their visions forward um, in the next coming years and, and really make some moves doing it together as a, as a community so we're, ex- we're excited for that um, and I want to say this you guys are Atlanta guys I cab I know you probably want to get out there too I want to check out um, Atlanta, uh, Atlanta game man it looks like so much come on fun. down
0: <laughs> bring it. Come we're on down, seriously.
3: Get me, get me some tickets, man, and I'm there. I want to get out there. It looks like so much fun.
0: It is. It's it's the best sporting event. Seriously, <laughs> it is. I mean, I know we're biased and everything, but honestly, it's the best sporting event hands down in the Southeast. Um, it's, I mean, obviously, it helps that you have a team that's winning, Yeah. but um, <laughs> The fact that the culture within Atlanta has changed and is thriving and the energy that's coming around the city, it's its amazing to be a part of that. And, of course, you know, the modern marvel of the stadium, um, it's amazing as well. But y'all definitely have to come in. You got to do the tailgate. You got to be in the supporter section. <laughs> to, Look If I, you, you want to keep it classy, there's definitely a little bit of classiness for y'all. Up
2: there, This, yes. this is how big. William will definitely get right during the tailgate. <laughs> <laughs> if you come meet me, I will get you guys set up real nice. <laughs> well, I'm doing Not it. Not too nice. Not I my level. I'm doing it. That's,
3: that's my goal is to get out there for a game. So maybe sometime <laughs> in August or September, I'm, I'm going to be visiting. <laughs>
4: this is this how big Atlanta is, right? That you got for last final 73,000 and yes. Super Bowl only got 70. Yes. Now, I never thought in my lifetime I would see an MLS crowd, big MLS, Super Bowl, not even an NFL, a Super Bowl. <laughs> Come on. Top that, 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 that. Shout out that
1: <laughs> That's big, man. You guys are cool, cool, cool. So uh, in case anybody wants to highlight y'all, where can they find y'all on social media?
3: Um, You can catch me always at the Rochester City Soccer League on Facebook, Instagram. And uh, our webpage is the Rochester Soccer I'm also always posting on the United Soccer Coaches, Black Soccer Coaches Group page. Uh, check out our Black History Month uh, uh, write ups that are going on right now. That's uh, where you can find me and Nicole Hercules.
4: Uh, we're on YouTube, Futsal America TV. Uh, loads of video um, on that training, games, skills, everything on that. And Futsal America FC dot com. Cool, 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 man!
1: This this interview has actually blown my expectations out the water. I I thank y'all so much. We will absolutely have y'all back on here sooner rather than later. Uh, but yeah, thank thank you so y'all so much for uh, for coming on.
3: Thank you. Nice to meet you, Tony. By the way, I've heard a lot about you from uh Cam. Told me about you a couple weeks ago, so it's nice to finally. Oh,
0: I'm scared what he said.
3: Come <laughs> <laughs> on, you know I talked to Greg mentioned you too, so I was like, oh, I gotta meet this Tony guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <That's> yeah. <laughs> electric, things about people. It's always got a Facebook page where he's saying something bad, but Cam. Can't wait to meet you. Can't a wait privilege. to
0: meet you. Y'all take it easy. Thank Thanks. you, guys. Yeah
3: bye
2: Take care. Bye. Bye. Man, that was everything. Like, I
1: didn't really think that was going to last us a, a good, almost a good hour. Did we get like a, an hour? Yes, we did. Listen, like, I was just hoping for like a good 20 minutes. And, you know, it's, it's always good when you have people who, one, who know the game and really have... A strong history with it that can really you know just go all, all day with you uh, thanks to uh, cab and Nicole like I, like I said it before y'all will definitely be back on the show there's way too much knowledge there to not to not come back uh, and uh yeah uh, y'all like
2: well, what, what was your thought? Because like, you're kind of quiet during the whole thing. I really tried to soak into all of that, which is why you probably just hear me laugh and mention shaky knees when he talks about Bruce Brabler. But uh, hearing Nicole talk about how she built interest in the game in the inner city just piqued my interest so much because that's been the biggest bugaboo as far as anything I've ever worked on or anything I've done with my friends is how do you get inner city kids interested in a sport that they may not have the space to play in. And hearing Cab just talk about Liverpool is always great. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie, it just made me feel happy inside to, have, to know there's another black person I needed need some, some confirmations, some affirmation of my life. But it's dude, that whole hour is just, I highly recommend it to anybody. Like, they are so knowledgeable. Nicole is only 30 like I am. Like, for her to be that knowledgeable makes me it warms my set your game up man i, I gotta try harder <laughs> so tell me this y'all y'all
1: you feeling good about the chance next week against uh, byron
2: well i mentioned it uh before everything got started with tab that uh your boy ox is back in training uh i don't think he's gonna start against byron but we'll see him later um Trent's back on the field always good. Um, y'all finally won a game um over the weekend. Like y'all, like, y'all lost first place. Like, I lost last place in City, but like, like, come on, man, really? Okay, so C- one, City's playing out of their mind. I can't even deny that. Two, City played Chelsea, and Chelsea is just a little remember bit the time? than Yo,
1: yo, yo, remember the time when Chelsea was threw- good? Man, two years
2: ago. That was an hour and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: they're still in they're in fifth, sixth now? Like, they're still not bad. Yes, yeah, just- we can we come in. We coming up, man. Like, don't worry about what happened against PSG. Don't worry about all that. We we, we run on what you mention up. What happened. No, hey, don't worry about all that, man. <laughs> hey, you know what though? I love Mbappe, so I'm not tripping that hard. So but still, you know, the streak had to end at some point. As long as, as long as it keep, as long as we keep this thing rolling in the EPL, we're good. Like so we're coming third place. No, Spurs be coming for you. So if you continue to come for Spurs, I'm also you know, so uh of course you know coach like you kind of led the way
0: up on that interview like what's well what, what are your thoughts well first of all it was always good to catch up with my old coach cap um you know he ripped my butt in the shape back with Howard, but um also just like you know the knowledge of seeing what he has seen within the u.s soccer landscape is amazing Definitely. Definitely. over the decades 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 i <laughs> mean like it's funny to see like it's it's funny to see Newcomers to the game of soccer and to see how upset they were over like the last five years. Right. And what's going
2: on here <laughs> in soccer.
0: Think about what Cab has seen in the last 30 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? You seen the rise and the fall. <laughs> so to hear his uh, perspective, it's, it's always one of those things like I feel like a kid at camp just listening to a camp counselor drum the guitars Like
2: I'm right there just like that do it again! Do it again! <laughs> you saw my face. I was just like, "Oh, he said these are the things I said." And then also
0: the <laughs> too. You know, with her perspective as well, um, <laughs> I touched upon it about you know being a, uh, I guess as we say, a regular black soccer coach <laughs> compared to the other diverse coaches that are out there. But, um, it, it was good to hear what she's doing as far as United you know, soccer coaches go within the um, Black soccer coaches um, union. Football. And um, to hear her perspective, what she's doing in Rochester too, amazing with um, the refugee community up there. I mean, hats off to her for what she's doing. I mean, we need more of that all over the, city, all over the cities, the urban cities in America. And if we can keep that going, then maybe this play, practice, play model can work. And just in case some of you all don't know, I'll just let you know: the play, practice, play model that the U.S. Soccer is doing is that the idea is that first 20 to 30 minutes of a practice is a play where they're doing small-sided games like four v four, three v three, that type of thing. Then you have the practice mode where whatever your objective is of the day, you kind of focus in on that. So if it's attacking in the final third, if defending your own half, or if it's trying to win the ball back in your opponent's half or something like that, whatever your objective is, you try to attack within that practice mode. And then your final play phase two It's kind of like the big game version of what you were focusing on in your practice phase. So that's the play-practice-play mode that's uh, going on with U.S. Soccer.
1: Well, um, like I said, I'm, I'm glad that we had this episode. Especially like I said, after, after last week, you know, that just kinda of pissed me off. But so like this one definitely you know, uh, brought up my my spirits and you know, I, I feel smarter for it. Um uh before we let, let y'all go, uh been mentioning the uh the uh namesets. Uh uh Mr. Webb over here, aka Mr. Allison. He's already talking about getting shout out to the
3: wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Allison fifty five <laughs> on
1: his um uh, hit us of course on uh, w- We'll have all the uh, order information up uh, probably
2: uh, on Friday. Uh, of course, what, are you going to be at the kit reveal event? Uh, I'm trying to roll through. Uh, it's, it's a lot of work shoes, so I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. Oh, are, are we? Are we going, Coach? Nah, bro. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Still, still <laughs> mad about the kids. Still mad about sorry. The kids. Nah. <laughs> I mean, Doesn't excite me. Sorry. I will be there. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I, 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 I'm pretty
1: sure Ringo will be. Here. I know. I think he's
2: tickets. Like these.
1: Apparently, people are selling these tickets even though they're free. But hey, Why? whatever. Why? Because they're that popular, man. They, 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 they want to be first in line. They're hoping the Pity's going to throw a kit at them for. Yeah, like, oh. right. see, I remember back in, back in my day oh, when, they, when, they, no, they had, when they when they had the concrete uh, kids that came out on against Chattanooga, and they had the little spike boxes. like, so,
2: oh my god! <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, like you know, I, I think people want that moment again. Like they want, to feel, they, want, they want to they want to get that feeling, that old feeling back. But uh, like I, I, I know I'll be there. Come 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 up, pull up, say say what's up. Uh, of course at 6 o'clock at the bin so um, you know I actually already got at least my training jersey, so you know I'm trying to make sure uh, Tony gets hooked up and everything I I know see well you, you could like I know they've been kind of like hotcakes around here so just you know just make sure you, you, you stick by me I got you
2: I'm, I'm gonna roll I'm gonna roll with the team and try to like Get the good stuff, so I don't end up with the baby fit like I had the first season. Oh, oh. man, the baby I, fit jersey! I, I need a
4: picture.
2: <laughs> that Yo. guy in a <laughs> <jersey>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got loaned a kit by a friend of mine that was very, very small, and it's where King was invented because it got so small that your boy had to show off the abs. Not I'll wantonly, not wantonly, didn't want. But uh, but yes. Uh, but look
1: for us at at the Kimberbell event. Pull up, say what's up. We speak. We, we're not bougie like that, and everything. I'm bougie. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Spotify store up will we'll be. The Spotify store will be up uh, this weekend. Uh, we'll have of course we already um, have had stuff set up on Facebook so you'll see that. Uh you'll see uh, the shirts that w- that we have uh coming up. Uh and yeah, you'll be able to uh go, go ahead and make, make your purchases and everything. Of course, we still have stickers. Um what else? Like we got Riggedy Round. Riggett Around <laughs> the <Get around. laughs>
2: Bandby right. <laughs> <PlayStation. laughs> But um but yes, uh, yeah, definitely
1: pull up support of course but what supports us Helps us, you know Reach out to you guys and, um, Right now we're working with Working with one mic oh, One mic There you go, baby And uh, <laughs> We'd like to get more than one mic Because, you know We got people got, They got something to say But um, But of course in the, in the meantime Make sure you uh, Subscribe to, to the show All your favorite apps iTunes uh, Anchor uh, Google Podcasts All of them uh, And And of course, you can always follow us on social media. Pretty much all of our handles: FTC U T
0: D. There you go, man. man, man uh, season four,
1: baby. <laughs>
2: man. <laughs> I
0: told y'all need don't need preseason, man. <laughs> <laughs> we <We're> am already warm.
1: <laughs> but, uh, but yes, uh, I said, Hopefully, y'all, y'all y'all enjoyed this episode uh, this week. Uh, follow follow our social media. I said a lot of a lot of good shit's coming up uh, in, in, uh, this week. So yeah, for. For our coach, for the debut on Will Webb, for the absent uh, Ringo is Dakin. <laughs> it's, it's Grego, the coach is real, and we out. <laughs> <laughs> That's what
2: we got. It's like, please, please leave the topic. <laughs>